great to see all of you uh, this morning. Uh, Joy Prom, just want to f- follow up with that. Uh, that actually, that video was actually taken at Carmel Baptist Church down in Charlotte. And it's a great opportunity. Uh, one of the things we want to use is just want to care for people. And we want to reach into this community in a very tangible way and with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I do want to encourage you to be involved in that. That's going to take a ton of volunteers. And it's a great opportunity for us to care for people. One day I was sitting in my office uh, meeting with someone. I, you know, I was talking with them face to face when almost simultaneously uh, my office phone sitting on my desk rang. My computer beeped telling me that I had a new email and the phone in my pocket buzzed telling me that I had a text. I realized at that moment that I was way too accessible reminded me of the first mobile device that I had. It was called a beeper or a pager. Most of you kids don't know what that is. It was this little square device that you wore on your belt. And when people called your beeper number, they would get this electronic voice telling them to key in their telephone number. Then your pager would beep. You would see the number that the person keyed in. You would then have to find a phone and then call them. You would typically say something like this. Yes, this is Scott Andrews. You paged me? Tana and I developed a system with that beeper when I carried one during my banking years. She did not have to key in her number, just the number one, because that's what she is. (laughs) If you could tell her I said that on the way out, since you are always very fond of telling her when I talk about her. That would be helpful. Now, if she just wanted uh, me to call her at some point, she would just put the number one in. That would appear I knew it was my bride. If it was kind of important, she would follow the one with a 311 or a 411, depending on the severity. If it was really important, 611, 711. If it was critical, like whatever you are doing, wherever you are, uh, stop right now, find a phone and call me, she would dial 1911. It worked great. I I felt constantly connected to her, you know, kind of like without ceasing. I did not call it a leash. Now, I want you to think of all of those communication devices that we now have, which I'm going to suggest have both helped and hindered meaningful relationships. I am not a sociologist or a psychologist, but studies have been done on the impact of electronic media and these communication devices. As Steve Colley was writing the inside of your bulletins, and by the way, the staff, we all take turns writing. It isn't me or one person. We all take turns. And as I read his, I thought, man, you got to share that information with me. He shared the research that he had discovered. Consider. Four billion mobile phones are in use around the world today. That means over half of the planet has cell phones. And by the way, Doug Cheshire knows most of those telephone numbers. (laughs) Nine in ten American adults now have mobile phones. One in five children ages 6 to 11 have mobile phones. I'm kind of hoping they're upstairs at Kid Zone, and that you don't have to deal with that if they're sitting next to you. Sorry. Uh, on average, American adults spend 
2.7, almost three hours a day on their mobile devices, like smartphones or tablets. In fact, right now, some of you are fighting the urge to check your phones. Some of you are checking it anyway. You think those around you will just think that you are looking at your electronic Bible. The only problem is I have not yet read a verse, just to be clear. Those are just mobile device statistics. According to eMarketers.com, consider these fourth quarter 2013, just last quarter, social media numbers. They did an extensive worldwide, worldwide survey. Consider these responses. Worldwide, 69% of those surveyed use Facebook. There are 1.1 billion Facebook users in the world today. Just out of curiosity, how many? How, come on, raise your hands. All right, put them down. How many of you don't? That's amazing. You don't fit the statistic. 59% of you use YouTube. 36% use WhatsApp. 34% use Twitter. 22% use LinkedIn. And 21% use Instagram. I have at one point or another, used all of those. According to Pew Research, 73% of adults use social networking sites. Now, again, by sh show of hands, is there anybody that doesn't use any of those on the screen? <laughs> oh, we need to talk. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure we'd get any hands. I guess you could say with the internet, with electronic devices and media, communication is easier than it's ever been. And yet, some of those same studies reveal people are as lonely as they have ever been. While we are more connected than ever, there is no community. We are, as a people, lonely. In fact, studies show, this is very interesting, studies show that the more you use social media, the, the more connected you are, the more likely you are to be lonely. Catch this. The age demographic saying that they are the most lonely are those ages 25 to 34. A full 27% say, I'm lonely. The second highest group, 18 to 24-year-olds coming in at 19%. The least lonely, <laughs> those people who just raised their hands. Those least likely to use social media, those over the age of 70. In other words, listen to me, loneliness is directly proportional to social media usage. The numbers are staggering, but it has, that's not what I'm going to preach about today. Consider this question. Has the brevity and impersonal nature of such communication impacted your prayer life? Could it be that you feel alone, that you feel disconnected, that you feel your relationship with God is impersonal and shallow because you treat prayer the same way that you treat Twitter. All I have time for, God, is about 140 characters. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. Amen. That'll fit. I checked. 
You pop in, you pop out for a few moments of impersonal, meaningless communication that does nothing to build intimate relationship. Statistics, by the way, bear this out as well. It's interesting that survey results don't change from month to month, year to year, actually decade to decade. According to Barna Research, 82% of adults surveyed say they pray at least once a week. 96% of born-again adults pray weekly. That's pretty good. It does make you wonder about the other 4%. Only half say they pray daily. And the average prayer is somewhat less than five minutes. It's that last one that causes me to wonder about the health of the church. It is that last one, among other things, that led me to this subject of spiritual disciplines. And it is that last one that is all too often true in my own life. We can all use the excuse, I am just too busy. D.A. Carson tweeted last Friday, literally as I was writing because I follow him, if you are too busy to pray, you are too busy. Cut something out. I am convinced that the spiritual health and vitality of a church is found in its individual members. Now let me be clear. I hope this sounds annoyingly familiar, but spiritual health is ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. Spiritual health is ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. In our study of spiritual disciplines where we are talking about things that we do, I want you to remember that what you do is prompted and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God in your lives. But there are things that you do, not to get God to notice you, not to get God to like you, not to get God to love you more, not so that you can earn more grace. These are simply disciplines, exercises we do to grow in our relationship with Christ. It's what we want. I want to be closer to God, and I believe that that comes by personal spiritual discipline. Now, there is an enormous list of spiritual disciplines. Some writers call about everything that we do a spiritual discipline. Discipline. Blink your eyes, discipline. I'm frankly not sure where to draw the line or if we should, but it seems to me as I have been studying uh, each week that all of the disciplines are somehow linked together. For example, Bible and meditation and memorization are linked. Fasting and solitude and prayer are linked. Worship and celebration, two more disciplines, go together. Service and fellowship cannot be separated. So whatever the list, and remember there, uh, the, the lists are neither necessarily complete nor biblical. We must remember that they all go together for the very same purpose, for the purpose of growing in our relationship with Christ, of being more like him in joyful holiness. So, 
All of that means you, that you may do some spiritual disciplines for a while, and then you may choose to switch them up a bit. You may journal for a time. I don't know why. You may fast for a time. You may memorize for a time. You may withdraw and try solitude for a while. But likely you will want to change them up to keep them fresh and effective. However, however, having said all of that, there are two disciplines which I believe are indispensable and they must always, always, always be part of the Christian life. And they are the first two with which I have begun, Bible and prayer. Bible and prayer in all of their different forms. Last time we were together, I talked about consuming the Bible, reading, studying, hearing, memorizing, and meditating, which are absolutely vital for growth in our knowledge of and relationship with God. You've got to have some intentional process of taking in the Bible, typically on a daily basis. This week, I'm going to talk about prayer. And I know this sounds a bit like the ABCs of Christianity. And yet, we all need continuing encouragement to spend time with God in his word and in prayer. Donald Whitney, in his important work on the disciplines, says this. Of all of the spiritual disciplines, prayer is second only to the intake of God's word in importance. If that is true, and I believe that it is, although I would probably have them both tied at first, if there is a lack of godliness in the church today, it is, if there is a lack of godliness in this church, it is likely a result of the lack of Bible and prayer. If there is a lack of godliness in your life, it is likely the lack of Bible and prayer. I've said this before, I've never, never, 30 years of ministry, I've never had anyone in my office saying, Scott, I'm really struggling uh, in my walk with the Lord. I'm really spiritually struggling. I'm in this sin. I'm in that sin. Really, really struggling. To which I have asked the question, well, how is your Bible reading and prayer? I've never had anyone look at me and say, oh, yeah, I read the Bible and pray every day. Never. Richard Foster, in his classic work, Celebration of uh, Discipline, wrote, of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. He goes on to write, prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. You want to be like Jesus? It takes prayer. We begin, he says, to think God's thoughts, to desire the things he desires, to love the things that he loves, to will the things that he wills. You cannot be like Christ without talking to him. William Carey, great missionary to India, wrote, prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. Prayer is at the root of all personal godliness. Doing a survey of the disciplines in history, Christian writer uh, Carl Lundquist notes the, the early church built their lives around four disciplines. We'll identify those in a moment. Wesley, in his holy club, identified 
five, he added fasting to those first four. The medieval mystics wrote of nine disciplines that they put under three categories. The Keswick's spoke of five. Richard Foster's book lists 12. You can find all kinds of lists that vary in length. Lundquist summarizes, but whatever varying religious exercises we may practice without the two basic ones, prayer and Bible, the others are empty and powerless. So two weeks ago, I ended our time suggesting that communication is key to any relationships, which, by the way, brings us full circle to our introduction. Meaningful communication is necessary to relationship. I'm not talking about connection. You're connected with more people than in history and probably have less meaningful relationships than ever before. I am not talking about connection. I'm talking about communion. For example, if I listen to my wife the same way that I listen to the Word of God, with the same frequency, intensity, and focus, what would my relationship with my wife be like? You answer that question for you. Similarly, if I talk to my wife with the same frequency, duration, and intentionality as my prayer life, what would my relationship with her be like? What then is your relationship with God like? How is your prayer life? Once a week? You know, checking in, kind of like you do on Facebook, once a day for less than five minutes, kind of like Twitter, there might be a reason that you feel lonely and disconnected in your relationship with God. Let me give you some examples of great people of the past and their prayer lives. Martin Luther once said, I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours a day uh, or three hours daily in prayer. Three hours a day. You're starting to get a little nervous. John Wesley devoted two hours a day to prayer. He wasn't as spiritual as Luther. David Brainerd wrote, I love to be alone in my cottage where I can spend much time in prayer. Ed and Iron Judson, a missionary to Burma, 40 years withdrew. He had, a, he had a habit of withdrawing seven times a day intentionally to pray. Started at six in the morning and the last one was at midnight. John Hyde of India made prayer such a part of his life that he was known as praying Hyde. Very first pastor I worked with, personal example, very first pastor I worked with, right out of Bible college, Junction City, Kansas, Calvary Baptist Church. He used to wear suit pants every day. It didn't matter what day of the week it was, he had on his suit pants. And if you look closely, you would see that his knee, the knees in those suit pants were threadbare, almost worn through. He didn't have to say anything. I was convicted by his example. You hear those kinds of examples, and you might get a bit overwhelmed. In fact, one author suggests that we even become discouraged. So here's just a little bit more to add to your discouragement. This, <laughs> this is a bulletin board in the auditorium of a new church plant less than a year old that I saw in Trinidad last month uh, on that OCC trip. Let me, let me point them out to you. The one on the top left reads, every first Tuesday and Wednesday of the month is prayer and fasting from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. 
Two days in a row, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. The middle announcement at top reads, all night prayer, every last Friday of the month from 10 p.m., 10 at night, to 5 a.m., 5 in the morning. And about now, some of you think, I really have gone off the deep end. Now you're thinking you are either encouraged, challenged, or overwhelmed. Listen, I do, not, I, I do not want you to be overwhelmed. I want you to be encouraged simply to do this, to pray more. Listen to me very carefully. God will graciously meet you where you are. He will inflame your passion. Inflame your pass, passion, he will empower your effort, and he will take you deeper. Let me say that again so it didn't make sense. God will graciously meet you where you are, inflame your passion, empower your effort, and he will take you deeper if you want to. I suspect you need it. I know I do. It is expected that Christians pray. Again, quoting Luther, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. We are just supposed to pray. Jesus expected us to pray. His most extensive handling of prayer in the Gospels is found in Matthew chapter 6, where he talks about it over and over. And he says this, when you pray, he never says if you pray. It's expected that believers will just want to talk to God. Jesus himself prayed. And he, if he needed it in his flesh, how much more us? In Mark, for example, we read, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and prayed. Really? We read things like this in the book of Luke, chapter 5. All through the book of Luke talks about Jesus praying. Luke chapter 5. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness to get away from all of the distractions. We're going to talk about solitude in the weeks to come. To get away from all of the distractions, to pray. Chapter 6. It was at this time that he went off to a mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. There's that a praying all night thing. Jesus' pattern was often, and I think we could say intentional and prolonged. Again, a little more than a few minutes each day. Further, the rest of the New Testament is clear that prayer should be part of our lives. We see it in practice in the early church, Acts chapter 2. Remember those four disciplines that I mentioned? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. First one, Bible. Last one, prayer. A uh, little later, when the leaders of the church were potentially being sidetracked by administration, important things, taking care of widows, important things, they appointed the first deacons so that they could continue to be committed to the ministry of the word and prayer. Bible and prayer, there it is again. Romans 12, Colossians 4, Paul tells us to be devoted to, make it a passion of your life, prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he tell, Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Oh, there, we've heard that before. What the heck does that mean? One author suggests that we think of praying without ceasing as a constant awareness of his presence, the ability to approach him at any time. 
You don't have to be at your bedside on your knees, eyes closed. You don't have to do that. You should do that, but you don't have to do that when you pray. He, he, the author went on to suggest that we should think of him as on the other line of call waiting, a simple push of the button, and there he is. One author said further, in this praying without ceasing, you never actually stop praying. You just do so with frequent inter- interruptions. Prayer, even constant prayer, is expected of believers. What is it that keeps us then from praying? What is it that kept you from praying, I don't know, this morning? We come up with all kinds of excuses, and most of us know the answers to the excuses. Well, prayer takes work. It's discipline, which means that we are just too spiritually lazy to pursue a close walk with Christ. We pursue those things that are important to us, you see. Well, it it takes time. We're just too busy, which means we have misplaced priorities. Or we don't see the need. We feel like that we can handle things on our own, which means we're proud, arrogant, and forgotten the words of Jesus. Without me, you can do nothing. You need to stay connected to the vine. We doubt. We doubt that it will accomplish anything. I mean, after all, God's sovereign is going to do what He's going to do anyway, and it means that we lack faith and trust and even a basic understanding of prayer that God has ordained that He uses the prayers of His people to accomplish His purposes. Can I remind you that Jesus says, pray. And He is the one who told us that when we pray according to His will and purposes, He will answer. He is the one who said, He who asks Uh, receives, he who seeks, finds, he who knocks, the door will be opened. Truth is, every one of our excuses are lame. We can always find them. Truth is, if we want to grow closer in our walk with Christ, we will do the work necessary to pray. Now, I am talking this morning about personal prayer. Certainly, there are lots of examples of corporate prayer. That is the church praying together. And certainly, we could do more of that together. But in these disciplines, I'm talking about you, all right? Now, I'm not talking to the person next to you, whoever that is. I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to me. Growing closer in our personal relationship with Christ. I'm talking about actions that we take, disciplining ourselves for godliness, There is much, of course, that I could say about personal prayer. Lots of ways to approach the spiritual discipline. I have an entire shelf in my library on the topic of prayer. It would take weeks, maybe even months. Some of you think, Scott, you could go for years talking about this topic thoroughly. But as I thought about it, I'm going to talk about it this morning. And here are a few thoughts. With all of the reading that I did over the last few weeks, here are a few thoughts that I want to share with you, very practical things that we can, as we seek, to increase the importance and consistency of prayer in our personal lives. So here we are, just some, some thoughts, some random thoughts. First, do not view prayer as drudgery as simply a response to a biblical command, like it's some kind of obligation. The Bible says I got to pray. Guess I got to pray. No. Remember that discipline without direction is drudgery. Discipline without direction is drudgery. We've got direction. It is to know God and to be like Christ. And so we view prayer as a, not as a drudgery, but a delight. 
It is, it is a divine summons to communicate with the very God of the universe. Hebrews chapter 4 says it this way. Therefore, let us draw near to God with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. People, brothers and sisters, you have received a royal summons to draw near to God's throne with confidence to receive mercy and grace when you need it. Prayer is not merely an obligation. It's a privilege that we have to, to find power for holy living. Second, however, prayer is a discipline, which indicates that it is something that you need to train and grow in. Again, I do not want anyone to leave here discouraged this morning. I want you to be encouraged to either um, continue your current pattern or more likely to increase the practice of prayer in your life. So here, right now, let's get very, very practical. I want you to think about your life right now. What is your practice of prayer? Got it? Now, what can you do to either continue that pattern or to increase the importance of prayer in your life? What commitments will you make? Again, I don't want, any, I don't want us leaving out of here, Lions Bible Fellowship, leaving tomorrow, leaving in tomorrow morning, Lions Bible Fellowship throughout the community who sets their alarm for 4 o'clock, drops to their 4 a.m., drops to their knees by their bedside to pray because then a Lions Bible Fellowship would be found sleeping at 4.15. I, I want you to grow and train and grow in the practice of prayer. I want you to commit to it. Third, you should know that prayer is learned. In fact, in Luke chapter 11, the disciples, no doubt observing Jesus' prayer life, said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus did not berate them for the request. Uh, you should understand that. It's so basic. No, he taught them how to pray. He actually gave them an example of prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's actually the disciples' prayer. It's an example of how we should pray. Now, while I don't think that he was giving us specific words that we should pray every week, although we did it this morning, there's nothing wrong with doing that um, every once in a while. It is, however, intended to be an example. An example, by the way, and I hope you noticed, it contains worship and exaltation and confession and intercession. Those are some important things that should be part of our prayer life. All that to say, inasmuch as prayer is learned, learn about prayer, which leads to the fourth thing. Since prayer is learned, pray with other people. Not just so that you can learn the language of prayer, right? So that you can pray with really super spiritual people and add their verbiage to your prayer so that you can pray like they do without thinking. No, we pray with more mature believers so that we can learn the principles of prayer. Do that. Fifth, inasmuch as prayer is learned, read about prayer. As I mentioned, I have lots of books in my library, lots of really good books on prayer. Read about it. Read biographies of Christians who were great in prayer. People like David Brainerd. His journals are amazing and convicting. I read about George Mueller. There are over 370 references to prayer in the Bible. Do a study on prayer in the Bible. But listen, don't forget to apply it. Don't forget to use it as examples to inform your own prayer life. Andrew Murray, who wrote much, perhaps more than any other, about prayer, said in his important work with Christ in the school of prayer, 
said this, reading a book about prayer, listening to lectures and talking about it is very good, but it won't teach you to pray. You get nothing without exercise, without practice. I might listen for a year to a professor of music playing the most beautiful music, but that won't teach me to play an instrument. Man, I've been listening to this worship team for 17 years I've been to this church, and I still can't play an instrument. Learn and practice. Sixth, every book I have read about spiritual disciplines, specifically the discipline of prayer, connects it with the Bible. They make a big point about it. Say, read the Bible, study the Bible, meditate on it, and then pray, asking the Lord to help you to understand and apply it. In other words, prayer is not just done in this vacuum. You know, where you sit down and you go, let's see, what am I going to talk to the Lord about today? Inform your prayers with the Word of God. Some even suggest that we pray God's words back to Him. For example, um, open the Psalms and pray one of David's prayers to God, making it your own. One author said it this way, said there should be an almost untraceable transition between Scripture input and prayer output. I like that. Seventh, and this one is most critical. If you're taking notes, put a star by this one. You must plan to pray. If you do not plan to pray, pray you will not do, says Yoda. Discipline requires a plan. And as we are both invited and commanded to pray, we should build prayer into our daily routines and schedules. Which means, how important is this? You've got to plan it in. Which means, too little time, too much to do, too many kids, too much work, too little desire, too little know-how... None of these exempt us from the expectation that we pray. So, maybe you will do like Adoniram Judson and select seven times a day to pray. That might work. I, I, I tried that for a period of time years ago. Again, when I was in the banking workforce, I, I just decided I was going to go out during my break time. I found a deserted um, staircase that was dark that actually went up to the roof. No one went in there. It was dusty, and I just went in there and prayed. I remember those very special, precious prayer times with the Lord. Maybe you can be like Luther or Wesley and pray two or three hours a day. Good luck. Maybe you'll be like David who prayed morning, noon, and night. Maybe you'll be like Daniel, who, while he was the lead administrator in the Persian Empire, which means he was fairly busy, took time three times a day to go home, open his windows toward Jerusalem, and pray. Maybe you can build uh, prayer into your personal devotional time. My point is there is that it does not have to be onerous. Decide to make prayer a priority. Let me say it again. Decide to make prayer a priority and schedule it. I believe that as you, as you, that you will find that as you pray, it will become more precious to you. Which brings me to the eighth and last thing that I will say as we close about prayer this morning. While God chooses to communicate with us primarily through His Word, I believe in the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Listen. Listen for his voice. Many times we pray, we ask, we seek, but we never listen. 
We dump a boatload of requests which require answers from God, and we never stop to listen. We spend 15 minutes asking God for things. We finish up in Jesus' name, amen, hop up, and are gone. And I can't help but think that God's up there, wait, you just asked. I've got some answers here if you'll just listen. Where are you going? There's a song that says, I try to hear from heaven, but I talk the whole time. We never allow God to answer our prayers through impressions and guidance of His Spirit. I once heard a 40-year missionary to England say, the 15 most important minutes of your prayer time are the 15 minutes after you say amen. In other words, you've prayed, you've sought, you've asked. Now listen. Listen to what God says to you about the direction and wisdom for which you've asked. Listen. Let's stand for prayer. So, Father, in the uh, quietness of this moment, we, we come into your presence seeking you to hear and answer prayer. And my singular prayer for us as individual believers, certainly as a corporate body, but, but as individual believers, that you would increase the importance, the value of prayer in our lives, in my life. Would you help us to make commitments to pray more and then by your spirit empower us to follow through? In Christ's name, amen.